there, listener. This week's episode is a one-shot, which is why it's a little longer than usual. Timeline-wise, you can picture these events as happening at the same time as the first arc. And we do the character intros at the beginning of the episode, so there's not much more you need to know before we jump into it. So let's get straight to it. Welcome to the first Serendipity One-Shot. These are going to be uh, quick one-off stories that we will be airing both between the arcs and for Patreon subscribers only. Uh, Today, I am doing a one-shot with Connie and Chris Meyer, two of my good friends. Uh, Why don't you guys do a quick introduction of your character to get started? Uh, Yeah, I have Penelope Anderson. She's a tainted, um, she's a young woman well-dressed who owns a store in the nice part of town. Um, it's an, she's an antiques dealer and she's also working dealing in black market magical items. And I am playing Jarleth McQuithy, a Faye wild character based at least someone on leprechauns and is thinks somewhere between a carnival barker and a con artist is his personality. All right, cool. So do you have a name for your antiquity shop yet? I do not. Okay. Uh, what kind of vibe are we going for here? What's the name of your antiquity shop? Like, it's going to be a super classy place because this is in the normal part of town. This is not in the magical district because it's like upscale antiqu- antiquities. Right. Anderson's fine antiquities. <laughs> okay, let's do Anderson's fine antiquities just because you put an accent on it. Uh, so one other question is how do you two know each other? Or do you know each other before this? I'd say I wouldn't associate probably very much with you. That's honestly probably fair. Right. Because, yeah, if you're so you're tainted, so you work with a demonic patron, but you live mostly in the human world. So I would imagine you probably try to stay pretty away from most magical creatures. Yeah, I don't want anybody to know. I'm I'm trying to trying to get paid out. <laughs> you just want to get rich. Yeah, I'm just here to get rich and do fun stuff and try and not let anybody know how magical I am. All right. Um, so you, who do you know in the city? Like how long have you been in the city? I imagine I'm fairly recently arrived. I, I'm a, uh, a rover of sorts. Like I'm not drop in, drop out. Don't let the, uh, raging mob behind me catch up. Okay. Thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, especially given your character. So like, do you, potentially have would someone come to you to find something and then you go to her like it but that if you've never met her before that doesn't make sense either no it doesn't doesn't seem likely so i could hire you right maybe okay yes so let's say um based on your status you probably keep tabs on newcomers to town because they're easy to hire for jobs and also i imagine easy to to dispose of if something goes wrong like nobody's going to miss them yeah that's important so nobody misses them so so you keep tabs on new people coming to town and you know that he has recently arrived so one day a well-dressed stranger um let's say a tall woman with white blonde hair and like creepy blue eyes uh dressed very sharply in a suit carrying a uh fancy cane walks into your store what do you do and she's a pretty lady with blonde hair and blue eyes and a well-tailored suit yes how can i help you today ma'am so i've heard that you're the person to come to if you want something a little 
unusual found. There have been rumors about that on the street. Yes, on the street, uh, behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for one of the items that would be talked about behind closed doors if you get my drift. And she, um, so she like holds up a hand and snaps her fingers, and you see like the, her fingernails very briefly change color. Like she's doing a glamour in front of you so that you're aware that she is also magical. But it's subtle enough that if anybody else in the shop is around, like they're not going to see it. Oh, well, why don't you uh, step back in my office and we can talk about this a little bit more. Okay. So she follows you back into the office and she sits down in whatever chair you have available. And she tells you that uh, she says, so what I'm looking for is called the sort of air. It is a small, it's not a traditional sword. It's not a broad sword. It's about two to three feet long. Um, it is forged out of silver it has blue stones in the hilt, and uh, it the sheath is made out of human skin. Is this something that you feel like you could find for me? Uh, yeah, that sounds right up my alley. All right. Uh, she says this is a family heirloom, so to speak. Uh, so I will pay whatever it takes. I am happy to put down a deposit, and she takes out a heavy bag of, like, uh, fey gold. You can see, like, she takes out one of the coins and shows it to you, like, flips it in the air. Uh, you can see that it's like thick, it's a thick gold coin about an inch in diameter. Uh, and then she catches it in midair and like hands it to you so you can check it out. Okay. Well, I'm going to kind of look it over and make sure that it's, it's legitimate. Are you going to do the pirate bite? Yeah, definitely going (laughs) to bite down on it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's solid gold. Like she's carrying around a bag of, uh, solid gold coins. So I'm going to point at the bag and say that should be a decent deposit. All right. She she doesn't even hesitate. She just like hands it straight over to you, and she says, "All right, uh, thanks." She sort of like uh, doffs her hat and then like turns around and just like leaves immediately. Doesn't look at anything else in the store. All right. Okay. If you're gonna find Jarlath McQuithy, like, what's your first move there? Do you have some kind of rolodex of people who are new to town, or do you have a contact who keeps track of this? Oh, I assume I have um, like children on my payroll. All that, right. That cool. let me know of these things. So I'm gonna. Um, dress up in all black and a hooded cloak and head down to so dramatic. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and head down to whatever low rent cantina he's frequenting. All right. Well, first, what I'm going to need you to do to find the low rent cantina, um, you are going to need to roll with mind. Uh, I'm going to make you do the same thing that I made Gloria do, which is when she has an NPC that she's relying on for information, you roll a research, which is investigating a person, place, object, or service using a library, dossier, or database, or a combination of them. So roll 2d6 plus mind and tell me what you got. Okay, I got an eight. Okay, an eight. Is that total with mind? Yes. All right, so what was your question? Uh, Where is this guy? What kind of uh, cheap bar is he in? Right, so where he's going to be is... Tell me if this makes... Tell me if this does not make sense for your character. But I'm going to say that Jarlath is in um, the pub that the anarchists own which is in the it's adjacent to the Grammary district um it's not a strictly magical pl- pub it's like mixed company but everybody who's there is clearly friendly with magical people as they're like most of the people who lives in the live in the slums are they can't really ignore magical the magical population because they live right up next to them so there are a lot of dirty youths um it's and it's like 
dirty youths. <laughs> there is like technically a speakeasy front, but it is pretty also clearly like a speakeasy. Uh, there's like a, I don't know, let's say what makes sense for anarchists. Um, there is a tiny, very bad bookstore. Uh, and the way that you get to the speakeasy is by like winding your way. It's, it's a, it's a space that's probably, it's only about like, I don't know, 600 feet, but it's one of those bookstores. There was this place that I went to in Fayetteville once and it was really cool to be in, but it was also slightly disconcerting because I have no idea how they got that many books in that space. And it was like, there were literally shelves, like the shelves were like a foot to two feet thick and they were like three feet apart. So like you like more than one person could not be down an aisle at a time. They just crammed as many books in there. And so this, there is, this is an anarchist uh, bookstore. And, um, frankly, the cops don't give too much attention to the speakeasy because they're too busy raiding the anarchist bookstore part of it. So there's a, there's like, um, you sort of wind your way through the stacks. Uh, you like, there's three, there's three specific tables that you have to take books off of in a specific order and then like when somebody sees that you've done that they sort of like grab your sleeve and pull you back uh into the speakeasy so you're in the speakeasy what are you doing at okay. the speakeasy i do want it known that the whole time i'm going through the bookstores while i am donned in a, a black cloak i am making sure my very expensive black cloak is not touching anything in this gross anarchist bookstore okay fair it's probably not the cleanest place you've ever been. Yeah, I imagine it's eighty percent dust. And like, <laughs> well, I would like to imagine that Jarlath is doing his best to set as many hooks into these uh, marks as possible as he can, mostly just by telling uh, stories into these fervent idealistic minds. All right, yeah. So, oh yeah, and I should set the scene. So this this like anarchist speakeasy. You walk through the back door, and it's like it's slightly set into the ground. Um, because it was originally a cellar, like this is this is sort of like an old bungalow that's been turned into a bookstore, and the cellar part of it has been turned into the speakeasy. So it's not huge. It's kind of like dim and dark. The lights are flickering. Obviously, electricity is not super great uh, for them. Uh, and there's sort of just like a mix of people. There's a bunch of like dirty youths, the anarchists that I mentioned, um, wearing, some of them are wearing, um, like nice clothes that have just been patched up repeatedly. Uh, when I talked about the leader or one of the not leader because anarchists, but one of the like community organizers for the bindle punks, um, uh, Lachelle, what I referred to was sort of like a flapper dress, but industrial in that, like it was more just as much held together with safety pins as anything else. Um, safety pins and like, uh, gray beading, so there's a lot of that sort of thing going on where it's like, it was, this is a clothes that were once nice that they like found on a dumpster or something. And that is now held together with like patches of other clothes and safety pins. And then there are people wearing sort of like uh working class clothes. So like dirty overalls and tank tops or t-shirts underneath it, um, or like slightly nicer button ups, uh, and the, but there also there are, you know, there's a table of dwarves drinking over in the corner. Um, there's a table of, uh, questionable origin, like some of them look human, some of them do not, and even the ones that look human, there's something that's like just a little bit off about their eyes or their teeth or their nails, and so like you suspect that this is maybe not a table of entirely human people. And then over at the bar, there is Jarlath, I assume, like get just like taking a bunch of the younger, slightly more gullible anarchists for a ride. Uh, loudly and what are you what do you look like what are you wearing 
Uh, let's see, Jarlath is... I mean, he's sitting down, so it's not obvious to tell, but he's probably about six foot tall, uh, sandy blonde hair. His pants are well-worn, and the, like, the, the hems at the bottom are very... Look like he's stepped on them a lot, kind of like that patchy, threadbare look. He has a red coat on that has got a lot of uh, gold brocade, if I'm saying that right. Honestly. I think so. Brocade? Brocade? I don't know. I'm not the... As anyone who has listened to this podcast knows, I'm not the person to ask about pronunciation. <laughs> but yeah, it is obviously well-kept, if somewhat patchy. But uh, it's obviously... It is his one... The one major part of his accoutrement that is actually well well kept reasonably cool and what are you um what are you trying to uh, get these youths to do uh nothing in particular at the moment i just feel like he's trying to establish a rapport that will uh he'll be able to pull upon later maybe all right cool well in that case um just for fun i don't imagine this will have a whole lot of impact on the story but you never know let's roll a uh, like a fast talk or a persuade so let, uh, roll 2d6 plus heart and let's see how this uh, is going. Uh, that is going to be a 10, actually, if I'm reading that right. <laughs> yeah, so if you rolled a 10, like, pretty much everybody that you're talking to is currently under your sway. They, You haven't asked them to do anything yet, but these people are, like, eating, they are eating up um, what you're doing. I don't know if you're, like, playing off the anarchist sentiment or something else, but these people are like, yeah, 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 no, he's right, yeah, yeah, like, you've got a crowd of, like, 17 to 19-year-old kids who are, like, picking up what you're putting down. I'd like to think that I'm twisting and reaching the anarchist concept really far. To- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh... It's like uh, one of those people, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of things that I could refer to here, but if I start talking about it, I'll probably go on a rant. So what do you do when you walk in the door? Uh, I'm going to locate Jarlath um, at the bar and walk up behind him and tap him on the shoulder. Well, hello, friend. <laughs> I heard you're new in town. Are you looking for any work? I'm sorry. I, we're obviously enjoying our libations here. What kind of work are you trying to propose in this moment? How are you at finding lost objects? Oh, well, lost objects admittedly are a specialty of mine, among many other things. Great. I'm going to slip him a piece of paper with my address written on it. Be at this address in three hours. Don't make yourself obvious. I would change everything you've got going on right now. (laughs) I'll take that under advisement, miss. It is very important you are subtle. Of course. Subtlety is my middle name. (laughs) And after that, I'm going to walk out of the bar and head to the address that I gave him. All right. And where's this address at? Um, it's kind of like a like a safe house apartment area where I do all of my dealings. All right, cool. So let's say that this this is probably in like um, the middle class neighborhood. So the way I imagine, uh, I imagine that your shop is probably located. Um, on the more northern end of town, maybe not like the most northern, because that would be like where the equivalent of, you know, the, um, the Louis Vuitton, well, not like, that's not even super nice. The, um, fuck, who am I thinking of? Louboutin. Um, the like, you know, equivalent of $1,500 shoes. Like that's like the stuff that's really far north. So I imagine your shop is probably like not, not super far away from that, but like three to five blocks south of that, uh, because the further south you go, the poorer it gets, basically. And um, situated, huh? Thanks. <laughs> situated, well, I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, you're not anywhere near the river. The river's where it starts to get real iffy. Uh, so 
your like situated for your shop is situated pretty firmly like on the northern side of town and the nice like shop neighborhood uh, between like the rich people residential area and the middle class, the more middle class residential area. And then I imagine that your apartment safe house is probably in the more middle class area. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, do you like what do you do when you make it? What do you do after she leaves? Well, gentlemen, duty calls, so I should be away. But thank you much for your company, and I hope I shall see you again. Yes, yes. <laughs> do you give them a card or anything? Like, do you have bad business cards? Uh, no, because those are too easy to track, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, okay, well, everybody kind of like, yeah, so everybody's like, aww. Uh, and like watch as you go. Um, do you uh, do you, either of you do anything before this meetup? Like, or do you just pretty much like do? I imagine you go home and change. What do you change into? Oh, I don't change. I'm I'm walking right up there, like <laughs> probably singing a loud, boisterous song through the middle of the streets. Amazing, perfect, good. <laughs> so, Penelope, what do, what do you do as you see this very loud man in a gold brocade? jacket walking up oh you poor thing you must be so lost and scared out here why don't i take you in and get you cleaned up and we'll get you to the hospital well i could definitely do with some charity ma'am but i don't think i need the hospital i think that maybe that would be best that we go have you looked at why don't you come in and we'll go from there well of course all right. So, tell me about tell me about the, uh, your apartment. What does your apartment look like? Uh, well, this isn't where I actually live. Yes. Well, fine. Your safe house. Uh, because I would never have this sort of thing go on in my actually actual home. But it's like a very basic furnishment. You know, like it has all of the things that technically are supposed to be in any average home, but it's it's just kind of. It's like Very an extended off. stay hotel room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like I didn't really spring for the nice stuff and it's like, yeah, there's a coffee table, but there's nothing on it. Yeah. Gotcha. Alright, so once you guys get inside, tell me tell me how this conversation goes. So, miss, I hear you're looking for something. Yes, I've been given a job um, where I am to locate the sword of air. Are uh, you yes, familiar? The sword of air. A large claymore, I believe, yes? Not at all. <laughs> Hmm? Oh, maybe a different one. What we're looking for is quite a bit smaller. The It's forged in silver. Well, that's common. Yeah, she is in human flesh. Still reasonably common. You know, for strange or magical artifacts that might or might not be called the Sword of Air. You'll be paid very well for your assistance on this job. And I'm going to put down, uh, like, ten pieces of fey gold. And say, this is, this is a deposit. Or this is half down. You'll get the rest later. Hmm, that seems reasonable. Question, is there like a seal or mark on this particular gold that would like correspond to a court, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so the mark probably corresponds to a court. As of this time, I have not like named all of the fey courts. Fair enough. Let's say it has an oak leaf on it, which like you recognize as a symbol of one of the fey courts. I just cannot doubt the authenticity of this. Are you going to do a pirate bite too? No, I'm gonna do the, like the, the thumb rub over the seal. Just, I feel like that he knows it that that well. That he like he knows this uh, printing very well. Great. So twenty fey gold for the job is what you'll get, and you will be there to help me get this done. Sure. Do we have any leads? Not yet. 
So what I would propose at this point is what you will probably do is hit the streets, which that move is I'm open to suggestions. Like if there's a different, like if you, if you tell me what you think it sounds like your character or what you think your character would do in the situation, we can match the move to it. But I'm guessing that it will probably wind up being hit the streets, which is basically where you name who you're going to. Um, like you have a, you name a contact. You're like, Oh yeah, I want to go to, um, Jonathan, uh, uh, because he's, you know, my, he's my go-to answer guy or like he's my book nerd research guy or whatever. And then you roll, with your faction stat. So like if Jonathan is a fae, you're rolling with wild. Uh, and then give me that number. Does that sound like what, what, or is that, yeah, what that, you sounds be doing? that sounds exactly like what I'm going to be doing. Kind of going to go to my go-to guy for weird objects. Um, let's see. We got some names here. Jensen, Bayer, O'Sullivan, Ahmed, Dawson, Schneider. These are surnames. Um, but there's also, uh, Laura, Cora, Josephine, Georgia, Chin, um, Ayeko, Nala, Harper, uh, Lakshmana, Morris, Kayung, Matthew, Shaitana, Felix. Uh, Ooh, I'm going to go to Felix. It sounds like Felix knows okay, what's cool. what. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So you're going to go to Felix. Uh, what faction is Felix a part of? Felix, I feel he's going to be part of the Knight faction, I would imagine. Yeah. He's going to be knowing about this sort of thing. Yeah, so he's probably um vampire? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. So knight is specter, vamp, or wolf. Or shapeshifter. We're doing more of a general shapeshifter thing. Uh, are the shapeshifters killed by silver? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they would probably want to know the whereabouts of some magical sword made of silver. That seems like a fair so assumption. I'm going to go talk to my go-to guy that I trust the most. Um, and ask if he knows anything about it or where I may be able to find it. All right, cool. Uh, so roll with night. Okay, I got an 11. Okay, wow. That is an unmitigated success. Tell me about, uh, where do you think Felix looks? So I'm imagining, so to tell you a little bit more about this world, um, the way I have it set up is that instead of just using the wolf archetype, as is stated in the guidebook, we're doing sort of a general shapeshifter thing. And my theory is that the shapeshifters sort of ongo- have an ongoing turf war, because like there's werewolves who are the largest and most powerful group of shapeshifters, but werewolves are not the only shapeshifters in this world or like, you know, just like they aren't in our world's folklore and mythology. So the shapeshifters have all kind of, um, that the rest of the shapeshifters have all kind of banded together and they're much smaller clans to me. I think that if this guy is sort of a top dog, no pun intended, <laughs> If he's top dog, he's probably like a werewolf versus one of the other smaller clans of shapeshifters, just because the werewolves in this world are tend to be the ones that have the most, pow- most power and the most wealth. Sounds right. Do you think, so does Felix, do you think Felix um, lives in, do you think that he tries to live a quote unquote normal life or is he in, does he uh, reside in the Gramary district? He resides in the Grammary district. That's how he's going to know everything that's going on. Makes sense. There is a very long trip. Do you have a car? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a car. Um, but I'm going to drive my car out to a fairly um, secluded area after cloaking up and putting a cloak on this guy. And we're going to walk from there. All right. How do you how do you uh, respond to to all of this? Are you just kind of along for the ride? Do you ask a bunch of questions? Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm peppering her with questions. Nothing too big of an import, but I'm trying to get a, a general feel and maybe throw some questions on to uh, her employer. Try and get a, a feel of uh, who might be asking about this sword. 
Mm. And what do you say? Like, I don't know my employer's name, and so it's not important for you to either. Fair. Well, that seems silly. <laughs> you leave your safe house, um, which is in the middle-class neighborhood that's a mix of commercial and residential buildings. Um, you travel south. As you, the further south you go, the less nice it gets, and then eventually it sort of segues into, like, industrial neighborhoods. Um, it's not, it's not the major, uh, production factories. Those are mostly on the other side of the city, the west side, and you're on the east side. Um, but there's just more, it's, it's just industrial neighborhoods, it's businesses, it's, um, like, paper-making factories and things. It's not residential or, like like b2c businesses i guess is the phrase that i want it's not like shop fronts that are selling clothing to people um after that you go over the massive bridge which is like six lanes of traffic uh the river is like i don't know a mile two miles wide it's a very big river so you go south um as soon as you cross the other side of the river the roads get a lot worse so you're sort of navigating your car around potholes what does your car look like my car's like uh it's like an old Cadillac that's been redone. Okay. It's like a black, just think black Cadillac. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whatever the ear appropriate version of yeah. a black Cadillac is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Something along those lines. Uh, yeah. So as soon as you cross the bridge, um, you hit the poor neighborhoods. So the roads get a lot worse and you are expertly navigating your black Cadillac-esque car around these, um, around these shitty roads. You navigate west and you sort of drive around the Grammarie district. Um, you're driving all, sort of along the top, the, the overlap between the Grammarie district and like the normal slums. You hit, you start to hit the outskirts of the Sacred Grove and head a little bit south and wind up along the south edge of the Sacred Grove in the Grammarie district and park your car. There's like a couple of lots. Um, there's a couple of like I'm, I'm I'm imagining. Tell me if this sounds like something that your character would do. But I'm thinking like uh, sort of like a, just a bunch of trees. Like you have a spe- specific hiding spot that you like park your car at, and maybe even have like a tarp out there or something to hide it with for when you do stuff like this. Yep, exactly that. Okay, so you do that, and then you walk back into the Grammarie District a little bit, and you wind up in front of this house that's like, it looks really ramshackle from the outside. Um, You know, you've been here before, so you know what to do. You walk up to the door, you do a specific knocking pattern, somebody opens the door and lets you in. Uh, One of the, like, housekeep, like, the, the house help. Uh, inside, it looks much, much nicer than outside. Like, the outside kind of fits with the rest of the Grammary District, which is, that like, just varying degrees of disrepair. Like, this is, you know, as we've talked about, like, this is the place that, like, the city government, as far as they're concerned, it doesn't exist. Like, these people don't exist, or they're just normal poor people. So, like, they get no tax dollars, they get no help. Uh, so a lot of the buildings are in, like, various states of disrepair. And from the outside, this kind of looks, like, similarly shabby. But as soon as you go in, as soon as you get inside, it looks slightly dated. Like, if we're doing something, you know, if we're doing, like, alt-1920s, the inside looks more like alt-regency or, like, even alt-Victorian. Uh, but it's really nice. Like, it's much nicer than it looks from the outside. So, And it's kind of like a Victorian or Regency-style home. So, like, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, roughly equivalent in our universe. And you get led into a sitting room where you are, you know, um, you sit down and the help asks you, the um, Abby asks you if you would like any tea or coffee or an alcoholic beverage as you wait. 
I'll have a cup of coffee, thanks. Any sugar or cream? No. Okay, black coffee. I'll take a uh, coffee with cream. All right. Uh, so she. <sighs> <laughs> Does your character scoff? Your character scoffs at him. You're like plebes with their cream. Character right here. <laughs> Excuse me. I hit a bit of flash, a little hair of the dog. No, I don't drink on the job. Pity. Do you drink? Uh, do you have alcohol in your coffee ever? No. I'm always working. <laughs> that was that was an OOC uh, question, uh, but I'm glad with that answer. Oh, okay, so yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the housekeeper or um, house. I don't know. I don't know like what the correct name. Um, maid, maybe the help, the butler, the butler. Um, <laughs> yes, does, does not say that because that would be super rude. So uh, she like takes your takes your requests, nods, comes back really quick with um, very nice coffee. And some coffee with cream. I'm assuming that you immediately upturn a bottle into it? Tip my flask into it a bit. Okay, a bit. A healthy, a couple healthy pours from the flask. As she leaves, she says, you know, here's a bell. If you need anything, um, ring the bell. I will be outside uh, so as not to disturb your privacy. So she leaves you alone for a couple minutes. You wait for probably five minutes. Do you make any conversation in the meantime? No. I just sit and wait. Do you try to talk to her? Honestly, I feel like I've kind of realized that maybe she isn't going to talk back to me anytime soon. So I'm just going to leave it at that for a bit. All right. So you slip your you sip your alcoholic coffee. Um, a couple minutes later, Felix walks in the room. He is a taller than average, broad-shouldered man. He's dressed to the nines. He's wearing a very nice black suit with um, gold uh, cufflinks. Um, he has dark skin, high cheekbones, short hair, and his eyes are like a very peculiar shade of gold. Like they're a shade of gold that most humans' eyes are not. Uh, and he says, oh, thank you. He says, hi, um, Penelope. To what do I owe the pleasure? I'm here on business. It's not personal. Okay. Uh, I see that Abby has already brought you some coffee. Is there anything else you need before we start talking business? Uh, nope, there's nothing else. All right. And he turns, uh, he turns to Abby and he says, uh, please bring me a mojito. And then he turns back to you and he sits down, um, in like one of those big, um, the floofy chairs, the wing chairs, wing back chair, wing back chair. Yes. The fancy floofy chair. Right. (laughs) As everyone refers to them. (laughs) I'm going to introduce my new associate. uh, I leap up, uh, uh, grab his hand and vigorously shake it. He looks slightly taken aback, but shakes your hand back. Saying the name's Jorleth McQuithy. Yes, sir. Pleasure to make your, make your acquaintance. He's uh, new in town and has a uh, talent for finding objects. And he, Felix, nods and he uh, looks both of you over and he looks you over, Jarleth, and he says, Are you so new in town? Uh, new in town by which previous residence? Oh, many, many, sir. Huh. Okay. Uh, we can figure out more about that later. Uh, and he sits down uh, at this point. This is when Abby brings in the mojito. He leans back. He crosses his leg. And he says, so tell me more about more about this object that you're looking for. I got a request to find the Sword of Air. It's a uh, smallish sword forged in silver, sheathed in human flesh. His eyebrows, like nudge up slightly higher and higher the longer you talk. I uh, thought because of its specific makings, you might have an idea. You might want to know where an object like this is located. 
he takes a big sip of the mojito and he nods and he says, he does not say, excuse me. He says, he says, oh yes, uh, I think I know the one that you're talking about, about, about Ye Long and uh, sapphires in the hilt. Yeah, that sounds like it. He says, right. The object that you're looking for is said to have been forged by the gods, wielded by uh, numerous great heroes. And uh, we do try and keep track of it because aside from it being silver, which obviously is not something that we would be a fan of, it's also said that no armor can stop it. Uh, In addition to that, it apparently grants its wielder power over the wind, which... uh, is kind of an interesting aside, but less interesting to us than the silver and no armor being able to stop it. Obviously, uh, this is not great for any person's enemies if it would fall into a person's hand, but it's especially not great for us uh, in between the silver and the ability to pierce through armor. And he stops and he says, so do you know who's looking for this? You know, for a fact that I never divulge the identity of my current clients. It's unprofessional. <laughs> he nods and he says, I, I under I do understand, uh, Penelope. I understand what you're where you're coming from. But here's the thing. Uh, and he stops for a second and he takes a, another sip of his mojito. And he says, The thing is, uh, this object is of particular interest to me and mine. This is not something that I would want unleashed on my loved ones. Uh, this is certainly not something that I would want unleashed on me. And there are a lot of people who would like to have something like this. So my ability to help you out here kind of depends on how much I know about whether this person who's looking for it is a potential enemy of mine or not. Can you give me anything? I can tell you that the client in question likely is not an enemy or any kind of threat to you. All right. So you're going to need to, uh, you're going to need to roll for a persuade here. Yeah. Uh, you're going to yeah, need to roll or, for a persuade. I mean, just an outright lie. <laughs> yes. Well, I believe, let's see. Okay, yes. So we can do you t- tell me which one you want to roll with. So there's persuaded NPC, which is um okay, so you tell me what makes the most sense uh, how to approach this based on your character and which of course obviously you can choose based on your stats too. There is persuading an NPC, which is persuading someone through seduction, promises, or threats. Roll with heart. Um on a hit, they do what you ask. On a seven to nine, they modify the terms or you owe them. Uh there's also mislead, distract, or trick which is when you try to mislead, distract, or trick someone, roll with mind. On a hit, they are fooled, at least for a moment. On a 7 to 9, pick 3, and on a 9 to 7, pick 2. Out of you create an opportunity, you expose a weakness or flaw, you confuse them for some time, or you avoid further entanglement. I think I'm going to try and persuade him. Okay. So we're going to go with the persuade roll. Which is heart, yes. I got an 11. (sighs) Why do you keep rolling so good? I don't know. I never roll well. got to switch to the system. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... He thinks about it for a second. Um, he takes another sip of his mojito. All of these sips with, of the mo- mojito have been big sips. So this mojito is like almost gone already. And he says, you know, I would normally do this, but I trust you. I, you've done, you've done favors for me in the past. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Uh, he says, the last time I heard of this, there, it was owned by um, this particular group of, group of dwarves who was working on figuring out what kind of enchantments were on it and how they could forge something similar. 
All I, I don't have a, I don't have a specific name of the person or group of dwarves. All I know is that this is of particular interest to a specific group of dwarves and that last I knew they had it, um, and they were investigating it. They do live in the, they spend most of their time underground. They don't come up very often. I think the name of the leader of the group is Morris. Um, but that might have changed last I knew. They are, given that they live underground, they are a little harder to keep track of than I would like, but this is, all that I know, it's, you know, cards on the table. And he sort of like spreads his hand in this, like a, you know, this, I'm telling you everything I know, like legit gesture. Is there a role I can make to see if he's lying or withholding information from me? Um, let me see. Yeah, there is actually. Uh, so there's figure someone out when you figure someone, when you try to figure someone out or with mind on a hit, hold two on a seven to nine, they hold one on you as well. When you're interacting with them, spend your hold one for one to ask their player a question. Who's pulling your character's strings? What's your character's beef with blanks? What's your character hoping to get from blank? How could I get your character to blank? What does your character worry might happen? How could I put your character in my debt? There is a similar role called assess, which just has like slightly different questions, um, which is also a mind role. Um, those questions are you on a 10 plus you gain three hold on a seven to nine, you gain one hold. This is a little cleaner. So we would probably use this mechanic instead of the other one because the trading hold one for one doesn't work great if it's an NPC. Um, so with this one, so you would roll with mind on a 10 plus, you get three of the following questions on a seven to nine, you get one of the following questions. Um, the questions are what potential complication do I need to be wary of? What do I notice despite an effort to conceal it? How is blank vulnerable to me? How can I avoid trouble or hide here? What's my best way in way out way past? Where can I gain the most advantage? Who or what is my biggest threat in the situation and who or what is in control here? So I think that it would be some combination of those and, uh, why don't you roll it and based on what you do, we'll figure out like what makes sense. I got a four. Oh, total. Yeah. Dang. Um, so, so you're trying to figure him out. Do you say anything or do, like, do you, or is this just like a silent moment while you're assessing him? Just kind of a silent moment of kind of looking him over and be like, are you really telling me the truth here? Is there more I should know? Uh, okay. Yeah. So, I don't think that it makes sense in the fiction for him to like suddenly freak out. So whatever bad thing that happens is going to happen off screen. Um, uh, But yeah, you can't, you can't really tell. Um, I will say just like metagaming just as a DM, like since you rolled the, since you rolled so successfully on the um, persuasion one, like you don't have a reason to think that he would be lying um, based on your, professional history i'm assuming that you probably come to him a fair amount and he's probably come to you in the past as well so oh yes so um what are you doing during this exchange jarlath jarlath at the the moment jarlath is probably just observing the interaction here he doesn't know where to put it put his finger to mess up the works so he wants to see what he can do at the moment fair fair uh, do you say anything else before you leave? Did you like wrap it up at this point or do you stay in chit chat? Um, I'd stay in chit chat with him in a friendly manner to keep building rapport that with makes this sense. guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you know, you like, you ask this guy how his husband's doing and he asks how, how you're doing. If you were having any luck on the dating scene. As usual, I'm too busy for that sort of thing, unfortunately. <laughs> and he says, "Oh yeah, that's that's right. I always forget about you, Penelope, and uh, your your how your work is, your love. So how's the, how's the work going? Going as always. I'm getting a lot of good antiques, a lot of good 
not so publicly displayed antiques and I'm getting a lot of money. Uh, That's basically all the things that an antique dealer could hope to get from life. I am very fulfilled. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he laughs um, and he says, well, that's I'm glad I'm glad for you. I'm glad that uh, that things are going well. You just remember you remember as you keep getting as you keep doing better. uh, Who helps you out when you come to him with questions? I'll never forget. (laughs) Uh, Do you interject anything in any of this or like ask any questions to him? Do you like make any conversation or anything? Uh, Actually, as we leave, I would like to once again vigorously shake his hand. I'd also like to attempt to palm one of these fake gold coins in his hand while I'm basically trying to get an innuendo of maybe want to keep an eye out on this. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's see. I wonder would that be... I don't think that would be mislead, distract, or trick. I feel like you should roll for this. Oh, fair. I'm I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Probably roll so I don't see that... Yes, that makes sense. Why don't you roll? Let's roll mislead, distract, or trick um, so that she doesn't see it. Okay. So you're going to roll with mind. Rolling for mind. Son of a bitch. 11. (laughs) You might be a shyster, but you're really good at your job, apparently. So, uh, or your uh, questionable hobbies. So yeah, so you you palm him a coin. He like his expression does not change at all. He knows the game. He completely takes it um uh and like returns the handshake, like does the clasp both of your hand and both of his hands so that he can palm the coin more easily and slips it into his pocket and um you as you're leaving, you look back and there's like a small window in the door and you can see him take it out and he's examining it. Uh so what do you what do you do now as a group, as a duo? Um, get back in my car and track down the lead he gave us of the dwarves. Your car is actually pretty close to the sacred grove, which we talked about. So you would know how to get to the caves. Um, you've done that before. There are two roles you might want to do. I don't think, I, well, there's actually, so there's a put a face to a name role. Uh, when you put a face to a name or vice versa, roll with their faction on a hit. You know their reputation. The GM will tell you what most people know about them. On a 10 plus, you've dealt with them before. Learn something interesting and useful about them, or they owe you a debt. On a miss, you don't know them, or you owe them. The GM will tell you which. So why don't you give me a roll for that um, as you're, like, heading? And both of you can do it uh, also. And what kind of roll is this? Oh, um... This is what their faction. Faction. And since he's fey, that would be wild. Jeez. Are these dice loaded? I got a five... Ask her, but it's a 12 for me. Okay. I can't believe you. I gave you my good loaded dice. <laughs> <laughs> so, dang, son. Okay, so, uh, so that makes it what makes sense with the fiction here, I think, is that you don't know them. Uh, you just, you have no idea who this guy is. You're flying blind. So, you, on the other hand, Jorleth, Morris sounds familiar to you. Um, we don't, you know, we didn't, went, like, we left your backstory fairly vague as far as where you came from, but, like, he sounds this this sounds pretty similar um let's say what makes sense to me is that um the way fey names work i like the idea that um that maybe they convey extra information to people to to uh other fey or maybe people who are extra sensitive to that information and kind so, of a meta layer. Yeah, so there's like a meta layer of information that like normal people don't have the processing power to pick up on, but you as a as another fae do. And so you realize that 
this sounds like the name feels familiar to a Morris that you actually used to know. Um, maybe someone that you did a con with at some point. Uh, so, and once you, once you meet him, you know, you can, you can play that out how you want. So you guys head to, you head back to the car. Um, and you're actually, if, if you need to like change your shoes or anything, you will do that at the car. I don't know if you bring changes of clothes or anything like that in your car. No, I'm in my nighttime creeping around clothing already. Okay, cool. I didn't know if you were wearing like classy boots. So, um, yeah, you get, you get back to the car, you stock up on any provisions you need, and then you head further into the sacred grove. Um, the sacred grove is a huge park, like, think any number of cities within the park the kind of um kind of what i think of it as is uh one of my friends lives in malaysia i forget which city that she lives in but she sent me these pictures and there is just like a chunk of jungle in the middle of the city uh and they have apartment buildings right up next to it and the grammary district would not be quite the same way because there's not going to be like a nice high-rise apartment right next to the sacred grove because there are not nice high-rise apartments in the grammary district but like it's just it it's a little less untamed on the outskirts but it gets into like a true forest very fast very thick trees um and you know because you have probably came here on a job before you know how to get to the entrance of the cave so there's a cave which looks like a which looks like a normal cave at first. Um, it's a very narrow slit uh, in the side of like uh, a hill that's in the you know it's like a rocky hill in the middle of the sacred grove. There's a very narrow slit. Once you squeeze through it, it widens out a little bit and it looks like a natural cave. But you start to walk down, and then there are steps cut into the stone. And so you walk down and down, and eventually you enter this uh, ginormous cavern, which is lit both by like electrical lamps and glowing gemstones and fungus um, hanging from the ceiling. And you're in what is like the residential area of the dwarf settlement. Um, and we don't have a map for the dwarf settlement because it is mostly unmapped. Like basically the only people who really know how to get around it are other dwarves. So do you, no, like, do you know where you're going? Do you have an idea of where this person lives? Because I don't think Felix was able to give you that information. Uh, no. I'm going to actually find a relatively young dwarf and ask where I can find this guy. Okay, um, let's see. So, so you see, um, a bunch of dwarves playing, a bunch of dwarven children playing, like, um, like a really retro version of basketball <laughs> underground and you walk up do you like call out any particular one or actually let's say there's somebody sitting on the bench and they're bored like they're uh, they're they're not on the team right now and you walk up and do you say anything in specific uh, I'm actually gonna go sit down next to the child and um, I'm gonna say I say hey have you do you know where I can find Morris and what are you doing Jorleth oh I'm just gonna pop up behind her and be like that's actually Morris. Putting a lot of inflection on it. Just Yeah, whatever. I'll give you five bucks if you tell me where Morris is, kid. Oh, okay. So let's roll uh, Persuade. That is a Persuade in NPC. So you're rolling with heart. Got an eight. Uh, he looks at you and he says, I'll do it for ten. Or do you have your bag of gold visible at all? No. That makes sense. Uh, he says, well, I'll do it for ten. Or, you know, like something better 
I don't think you understand how this works. You're going to tell me where Morris is, and I'm going to let you live. Good God! Um, okay, so that- I don't have a lot of respect for dwarves. Mean! Everybody doesn't like dwarves! What's the deal? That would be a- I think that what you're doing would be a let it out, which is, um, when you let out the power within you, roll with spirit- on a hit, you choose one of the below and mark corruption. On a 10+, plus, well, which you're not marking corruption. On a 10+, plus, you get to choose another one from this list. The list is, take one plus forward on your next roll, extend your senses supernatural or otherwise, frighten, intimidate, or impress your opposition, and take definite hold of something vulnerable exposed. Does that sound like the right roll? Are you going to intimidate this dwarf child with your demon form? Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, roll it. Spirit? Yeah. So, seven. All right. Uh, so, you get to choose one of the below. I'm assuming you're going with frighten, intimidate, or impress? Yes. All right. So, what does this look like? Do you change your body language? Do you show some of the demon form? And if so, what does that look like? Kind of straighten up and kind of give him a flash of the demon form, which is kind of um, very, like, a lot of, like, bone uh, like a bird skull looking face almost and smoke behind and glowing eyes. Dang, okay, what are you doing during this, Jorlith? Uh, I believe Jorlith's going to do his best just to keep a very straight face in this situation. <laughs> so you're not you're not um, laughing at this kid, but you're also not showing any sign of surprise at her, at her having a, a creepy bird skull form. I, I mean, he's doing his best. He wants to try and look as cool as a cucumber as possible. Okay, well, the kid is going to, uh, the kid, like, does this number, leans way back, and is like, okay, okay, lady, Jesus. So I'm just going to look at him. Now, where can I find Morris again? He, so, yeah, so he tells you, um, he tells you where to find Morris, uh, which is, it's in one of, like, the, the, um, the, they have these, like, apartment buildings that are set up almost like dorms, and, um, he, this makes sense because Morris is like this leader of this little sort of culty group thing, right? So, like, him and his group all live in one of these like communal buildings that has like a communal living space with like tiny like bedrooms all around like this central living space. And he lives in one of those houses, which is like you need to walk a little bit down the caves to get there, but you know exactly where it's at. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and still slip that kid a couple of like dollars or gold doubloons or whatever and say thank you. For the information, he takes it and he's like, like he he takes it and then he looks at it and he looks at you and he's like wondering if he should maybe not have taken it, uh, but he sticks it in his pocket anyways and says, "Yeah, okay, bye," and like turns around and runs away. So you you get to this um, like dorm room, freestanding dorm building. Uh, what do you do? Do you? say anything upon walking in? Do you just walk in? Do you scope the place out? Um, Jorleth. This is my number. Why don't you go take a look around and see what you can see and then come back and report to me before we just go in guns blazing. Very well. And he will shuck off his robes that he's been keeping over his glorious coat and go just knock up on the door. What do you do about this, Penelope? Do you do you try and stop him, or do you just sit there like, eh. I'm just going to follow him in at this point. Or, no, I'm, I'm going to still stand off to the side, kind of 
to observe whenever this inevitably goes wrong. All right. So you're not standing at the door with him. Absolutely not. Okay. So a uh, dwarf opens the door. Um, He's got like black hair, uh, dark eyes. Uh, He is not wearing any... um, you know, he's wearing like like the similar to human clothes of the time. These dwarves are not like running around in chainmail because that would be weird and goofy. Uh, so he's wearing like you know a, a semi nice, like a decent quality, but it's a little dirty. He's clearly been working button up shirt and like tiny pants. And he says, "Well, he's a dwarf. He has tiny legs. <laughs> he has to have tiny pants. He can't wear normal size pants because it's a whole bad scene." <laughs> I never said a word about his pants. I said tiny pants, and Connie looked at me like I had insulted this guy's mother. Uh, <laughs> viciously insulted. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I just... I said nothing. <laughs> it was your eyes. He, he, so he, he uh, this guy, uh, his name is Eduardo. He opens up the door, and he like, gives you a once-over. Uh, wait. Eduardo? Eduardo. Eduardo? <laughs> Rude! Why you gotta make fun of this guy's name? So he he, uh, he says, can I help you? Jorleth McQuithy. Here to see Morris? Yes. He should remember me, I hope. Uh, he gives you a look and he goes, okay, uh, I don't think Morris is taking any visitors right now. Why don't you um roll... So we can either tell me how you think your character would play this. There's persuade, which is persuade through seduction, promises, or threats, or you can roll through m- roll for mislead, distract, or trick. I could see you doing persuasion, but I could also see you trying to mislead or distract this guy just long enough to get in. It's up to you. Oh, I assure you, he is expecting me. So is that a uh, mislead? I'm going for trick? Oh, going yeah, for okay, mislead. yeah. So roll for mind. Uh, I do have the in our blood fey ability, which allows me to use. Uh, heart instead of mine for tricking. Okay, cool. Which will give me a seven, just barely. Alright, well it's a good thing that you have that. So, um, your list of options, you get to pick two out of these. There is you create an opportunity, you expose a weakness or flaw, you confuse them for some time, and you avoid further entanglement. Let's create an opportunity and confuse them. That sounds like fun. Alright, cool. So, uh, so what happens is, I'm assuming that you using this i'm at this since this is like a fey power mechanically um let's i I think that this makes sense that this is like a glamour or something like you uh do your hand flourish and you say oh i assure you he's expecting me and like the guy's eyes kind of glaze over and he goes and he like his jaw goes slack a little bit and he goes oh well if he's expecting you okay and he opens the door and lets you just walk in what are you doing penelope Upon seeing him just pull this shit and walk in, I am going to just walk up behind him and start walking in the house. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, uh, you created an opportunity and this guy is confused. So I think that means that you also just get to walk right in. Great. So uh, you walk in and like I said, the way it's set up is sort of like um, a communal living area with a bunch of bedrooms around it. So there's like a big hub, a big open room uh, with like a... Uh, there's a roaring fire on one end of it. There's um, 
uh, kitchen, like sort of near the fire. There's a bunch of chairs set up around the fire, but there's also chairs on another place. There's a wall that's covered in like sketches and diagrams. Um, and there are probably like 10 doors all around the room and you have no idea which one of them goes. So he, uh, so there's 10 doors all around the room and you don't know where any of them go. So if you, let's see, confused, create an opportunity. Yeah. So given, given the effect that you had on this guy, I think what he's probably still standing at the door. Like this guy is basically going to be standing at the door in a daze for the next like 10 minutes. Uh, so he does not show you where Morris is, but you are inside the room. There's probably like maybe three other people or three other dwarves in the room. Um, but they look at the door and they see that Eduardo just like lets you walk in and they're, they assume that there's a reason for this and then they go back to whatever they're doing. Pardon me, gentlemen. Could you point me out towards Morris? Uh, one of the, you're just gonna like keep rolling your way through this, huh? I'm just yeah, that's my that's the plan. Um, so one the guy that you talk to, uh, his name is so the one that you talk to, his name is Theo, and he's like sitting by the fire. Um, he's like reading through some some loose papers, uh, looking at like sketches, and he looks up at you and he says, "You're here to see Morris." Well, of course. Uh, have you never been here before? No, he, uh, called for me. I'm from out of town. <laughs> You're gonna... You lied! If you hadn't lied, I wouldn't have made you roll, but you lied, That's so... That's fine. <laughs> roll, with, roll with mind or with heart if you want to glamour this guy, stupid, too. <laughs> go with eight. All right, uh, so is that for mind or for heart? That would be with mind. Straight okay. Yeah, so you have the same. You have the same list. You get to pick two: uh, create an opportunity, expose a weakness, confuse them, and avoid further entanglement. Which two? Uh, let's avoid further entanglement on this one and expose a weakness. Okay, so oh, let me think on what this would be. Can I suggest one? Yes, Just maybe a silly one. But uh, what if Theo's uh, kind of nickname might be the Magpie? And he just loves collecting shiny objects and other, like, trinkets. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so he, yeah, so he gestures, um, he gestures at the door and he says, oh, well, I guess if this is your first time here, it's, um, it's that door over there. And as he does it, uh, uh, like, his pocket opens and a bunch of stuff falls out. Like, you see that he just has all kinds of junk in there and some of it looks valuable and some of it does not. Do you take any of his stuff? No, but I just felt like throwing it in there for fun. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, well, and that, um, and yeah, that, that might feel appropriate. We can change it. I mean, but yeah, no, no, that's totally fine. Um, I'm trying to think of, I was just thinking for a second of how I can throw that back in your face later. So <laughs> sounds good. So, yeah. So he gestures to a door. It's like the third door over from the left. Um, and I'm assuming you just walk over and open it. Of course. What else would I do? <laughs> So I don't know, maybe you're going to throw his papers in the fire and start a bar fight in the middle of this dwarf dorm. I'm just leaving it up to you. That just seems uncouth. Dwarf dorm. Dorm. Dwarf. It seems uncouth, but it also seems like something that the character who just threatened a small child would do. So He didn't say how small. I mean, obviously dwarf's so pretty small, but you didn't say how young. <laughs> I was picturing like five to ten. Yeah, me too. <laughs> But it's not like a toddler. Well, toddlers can't play basketball. They can play toddler basketball. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Okay, so you walk through this door. Um, surprisingly, given the shape of the building, you're not sure if there's some kind of glamoring or extra magic going on here because behind the door is not a room, but is like another hallway with three doors down it. Um, do you uh, pick up which door do you open? Now, if I know my pal Morris, I'll go to the last door in the hall. So, one second, let me... There's no basis in reality, so if you want to... It does, yeah, no, well, this also has no... I am literally using a random number generator to see which room is which, because I have something for each room, but I did not... Um, well, have... you have a D3 right here. All right, yeah, go ahead and do that. All right, so you open that door, and it is... It looks like a lab. There's, like, there's beakers, and there's um, smoking... Uh, vials everywhere. There's like a fire on one side of the room. It's like, it's not super hot, but it's kind of warm and it smells bad. And one second. Yes. And Morris is in the room. So there is, or someone that you presume is Morris is in the room. There is a dwarf in a small lab coat. Um, I got to stop giving descriptions to the dwarf clothing because it just makes me sound like I'm being mean. (laughs) there's a dwarf in a lab coat um then he's standing near the fire holding up a vial and sort of like shaking it and looking at it what do you do are you morris he turns and he looks at you and he's got like those steampunky goggles on the circular ones no don't make him adorable (laughs) you don't have to kill him I never said that was the plan I I saw it on your face I saw it on your face so um so he he looks at you and like sets the vial down and pops the 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 goggles up and says yeah who's asking i am why also who are you may i present penelope anderson okay i am a um dealer of curious objects and I heard that a Morris here may be in possession of one particular one I'm looking for. Which, wait, who are you? And he points at you, uh, Jorleth. Jorleth McQuithy. Do you not remember me? He kind of, he, he goes, oh! Oh, yeah! Yeah! We did that! We did the job with the, with the thing! Okay, yeah! I remember you. Precisely. Precisely. Uh, so he, and he, like, that puts him a little bit at ease, the fact that he, like, remembers you from this, um, job that you pulled a long time ago, and he looks back at you, Penelope, and he says, uh, yeah, I might be able to help you out. What kind of object? Well, I'm in the market for the Sword of Air. I heard that, uh, last time it was around, you were in possession of it, trying to, uh, recreate it. As soon as you say the sword of air, he like blinks. Like he doesn't he doesn't super visibly react, but he like you can tell that he recognizes this. And he says, Oh Yeah, uh I I don't know if I can if I can help you. I mean, yeah, I had it I had it at one point, but uh I don't know I don't know where where it's at now. Can I roll to see if this guy's lying to me? Yeah, why don't you do that? I believe that would be uh and assess. So roll with mind. Roll with mind? Mm-hmm. Great. Nine. Cool. I'm assuming, um, so you can, the, the questions for assess uh, are what potential complication do I need to be wary of? What do I notice despite an effort to conceal it? How is blank vulnerable to me? How can I avoid trouble or hide here? What is my best way in, way out, way past? Where can I gain the most advantage and 
who or what is my biggest threat in the situation and who or what is controlled here. I'm assuming that your choice out of those would be what do I notice despite an effort to conceal it. Exactly. Yeah, he's totally lying. He's definitely lying. Now, Morris, I came in here and I told you what I'm doing. And I was honest. I don't know why you would be lying to me. And he, um, how does Morris react to this? So, uh, Morris... shitting terror, hopefully. <laughs> Morris kind of, like, backs up, uh, up against the wall and, like, um, fidgets nervously with his goggles. And he says, I just don't know, I just don't know, uh, why, why you're here. You're, you're in my house. Uh, you're asking me these questions about the sword and I don't know... Uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's an important, uh, artifact, you know, it's important to my people culturally. And you come in here asking me where it's at and I don't know why. And, uh, you know, maybe we have our own uses for it and I don't know why I should tell you where it's at or anything. I think you should tell me where it's at because I want it. Now I'm going to make a little bit of money off of this. And if you play your cards right, you could also make some money off of this little deal. How much money? An amount. That's not very specific. <laughs> the amount of money you make is directly correlated to how helpful you are to me. I mean, but do we have, is there a like is there a mere minimum? Is there a floor? Is there a ceiling? <laughs> Connie looks very exasperated with me. You will get paid what you get paid. Or I'm going to have to figure out where it is on my own. And I really don't want to have to do that. So why don't you, Morris, tell me where the Sword of Air can be found? What are you doing, Jorleth? <laughs> I am actually greatly concerned that a fellow Fae would lie to me. <laughs> he didn't lie to you. He lied to her. She was the one who asked the question. Yeah, but he's... <laughs> I'm there. I'm, I'm representing here. I'm feeling a little concerned. Like, this is just... I'm hurt. So, Morris, uh, oh, it's about to get real messy. Morris grabs one of the vials, the the bottles that's behind him and says, sorry, can't help you, bye. And he throws it on the ground and it's a smoke bomb and it goes off and he skedaddles the fuck out of that room. Um, I would actually like to take a move right now called the devil inside. Where I uh, assume my demon form and get to do some stuff. <laughs> okay. Do it. Well, I've got to roll first. Yeah, I would presume. Okay, so I rolled a five, which means I get to choose one of these and um, I owe my patron a debt. Okay. I would like to go ahead and um, inflict one harm on him from a distance in my demon form and then turn back. Okay, what does this uh, what does this look like? Like, how do you how do you inflict harm on him from a distance? Do you um, is this like a telekinetic thing where you like break a finger telekinetically? Do you pick something up and throw it at him? Do you have like fire breath or some shit? Yeah, well, like I just transform into my my form when he can see me, and then kind of like move my hand in a slashing motion from across the room and just like slash open a big a big gash in him. Okay, so you, by the time you do this, he's got the door open. You um, get a solid cut across his back. It, like, it wrenches through the lab coat, um, through the shirt that he's wearing underneath it. Uh, and he sticks his head out the hall 
and goes, intruders, you guys, intruders. Uh, oh, Morris, you glorious idiot. <laughs> uh, and then he, yeah, he yells intruders and then um, runs down the hall. You don't see which door he went in running down the hall because you're in the middle of a smoke bomb. Uh, so, which probably also means that you probably didn't see the cut on him. But, you know, like the viewer, the listener uh, saw him get injured and then he just like disappears into the smoke and y'all are left standing in this smoky ass lab. This smells like butt. So I'm going to readjust my cloak back in my human-esque form and um, walk out like nothing happened and like open the next door. Okay. What are you doing? Jarleth. Jarleth. Words. Quick question on the hallway. I know we said the last door on the, was it like, the door on the very end, like it was just directly in front of us, or was like the door at the end on the right or left kind of thing? It was the door, there were three doors all on the right, and it was the door at the end on the right. Okay, so it's not like directly down the hall, it's still yeah. just the last door on the I would like to step out, step it, just basically take it one step back to the very end of the hall, just kind of like against the back wall. Then I'd like to go ahead and use one of my uh, fey powers to make a glamour of basically the wall is... Basically, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like invisibility slash. There's a wall in right in front of my face. Okay. And uh, how do the fate powers work? What do we got to do for this? In this case, I'm going to be taking one damage. Okay, so you take one damage. Um, one harm, I should say. And the illusion is Penelope covered in this glamour, or is it? Uh, that is. I'm going to say that's up to her. If she wants to sidle up next to me. I'm honestly not going to say much about it. No, if I don't know he's doing it, I'm just going to roam into the next room. Okay. Uh, you are standing in the hallway. Um, you walk into the next room. The next room is has a forge in it, and it ha- kind of has a similar weird magic space feeling as like the hallway did, where the room is much bigger, and the ventilation... like It's next to a lab that has a fire going. Um, you... like It should... It should not feel the way it does in here. The space is big, and it's like, it's a forge, so it's hot. Uh, There is not an active fire going in the forge right now, but there is, like, a fire. Uh, There's not a, there's not a forge heat fire. There's, like, a room temperature fire, but nothing is being um, smithed right now. There's weapons of all sorts hanging on the walls, and the room appears to be empty. Uh, Back in the hallway... You start to hear a commotion coming from the common room, the common area, and the door at the door at the end of the hallway opens, and a couple of dwarves run down the hall and run into the lab, uh, and then start shouting about how it's smoky. And by that, like this, that probably brings you up current. Um, what do you? What do each of you do? Uh, my plan is to basically just slam the door in the lab, and if I can lock it and or like bar it somehow, especially if there's like you know a convenient metal rod or similar um yeah there's gotta be i feel like you should roll for that let me figure out what you should roll that's fine let's creatively interpret this as a let it out which is letting out the power within you you roll with spirit on a hit you choose one from the list below and the list um has take definite hold of something vulnerable or exposed so i would say that this involves some kind of like fairy magic and you manage to like lock like you lock the door in such a way that you lock the door and then you break out the key so to speak okay does, does that make sense to you sounds, sounds reasonable cool? i'm down for it 
Let's roll. I've got an eight, looks like. All right, so you do that. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the dwarves run in, um, start shouting, oh, something must have gone, you know, it, it's, it's uh, something must have gone wrong. There's a smoke bomb in here. He wouldn't set off the smoke bomb. What happened? There's nobody else in here. That like, uh, bottles are broken. And, like, in the midst of this cacophony, the door slams shut. Um, you use one of your fairy powers. Um, the door slams shut. And then the lock turns and like something breaks inside like i think that this is cooler if it's not it's not even there's not even like a key it's like a sort of uh almost a telekinetic thing like the 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 lock pins turn and then something breaks so that like they're not going to be opening it unless somebody takes the door off its hinges and like cuts it out right and this is obviously dwarven craftsmanship so that's going to take a while yeah exactly you turned the dwarven craftsmanship against them so now you are in the hallway alone. Do what do what do you do after that? I believe I shall sedately stride and follow her path into the smithy. All right. So you are both now in the well. What actually? So what were you doing while he was doing this? So while he was doing that, I was going to um, start looking around since I am in a forge and there are swords around. I'm going to see if I can find the particular sword I'm looking for. Yeah, so why don't you investigate a place of power, uh, which means that you roll with the faction that owns it, so you're going to roll plus wild. Six. So you do not, uh, you cannot see anything unusual. You walk further into the room, and out of a dark corner jumps an angry little dwarf holding a knife that's three feet long and has sapphires in the hilt, and he is running at you. Shit. (laughs) I am going to pull out my baton and extend it um, and then, like, step off to the side so that he doesn't just straight up run me through with it. Okay, so since you stepped off to the side, um, you did fail a roll. So, like, he gets you a little bit. He doesn't... uh, Why don't you take one harm? Uh, He, like, nicks you on the leg. He cuts whatever nice clothing you have over the legs. (gasps) Neither of you has any armor. No. Just my disarming smile. I can have demon armor if I roll something, but um, I'm holding off on that for now. All right. And actually, um, after re-reviewing the harm ratings just now, you took two harm. uh, Because one harm is rough but blunt trauma. Two harm is painful and obvious. The equivalent of, like, a gunshot wound um, or something that needs a bandage or a sling. So that slash on the leg would be a two harm. What do you do after he slashes at you, both of you? What happens? So is the guy that just ran, is it Morris that... Yeah, it's Morris. Um, He ran out of a dark corner, slashed at your leg, and then ran into another dark corner. Like, this is a, it's a way bigger room than it should be, given the size of the building. Like, this is a, um, probably, like, 900 to 1,000 foot sized room. Like, it's a, it's a a room the size of a one-bedroom apartment, um... And it has higher ceilings than it should. And, like, the lighting is not great. The only lighting is coming from the fire that's in the middle of the room with the forge. So there's lots of, like, dark nooks and crannies. There's um, weapons hanging everywhere on the walls, casting these weird shadows. And he basically dove out of one dark corner and, like, slashed at you while shouting and then ran off into another dark corner and hid. Now, Morris, my friend, it does not have to be this way. He doesn't say anything. Nothing happens. I am going to be paid rather handsomely for this. It's not too late to make a deal. Are you doing anything? Assess the room, I think, is the... the, <laughs> the 
Which is what? what the... uh, that is a mind for, to mind. roll. Yes, roll with mind for us. Six. So uh, I'm not too good at this. It sounds like. <laughs> Do you? Oh, so you don't have any mind? Nope. Oh, okay. So, dang, y'all uh, were doing real good with rolls up until a couple minutes ago. So, um, you look around the room, and as you look around the room, a strong wind. As you look around the room, a strong wind kicks up, and um, you are hit with burning ash and embers from the fire, the forge fire in the middle of the room. Uh, so you should take a harm. Ah, my eyes! <laughs> from somewhere, from somewhere, from some corner of the room, you hear Morris go, "Man, we did that job. Why are you with this person who's trying to steal our stuff?" Now, I don't really appreciate you say person who's going to steal your stuff. I feel like I've been very generous. Okay, so... So basically, you said I'm offended that you implied I was stealing. I offered to pay you. Yes? Yes. Okay, so he... um, From a different corner than you just heard his voice from a couple seconds ago. It echoes out again. He chimes out and he says... We need this. We're we're trying to learn from it. We're trying to better our craft and and uh, do things that that nobody has ever dreamed of doing before. And that some you know we're not we're not supposed to to expand our metal craft. We're supposed to stay with the traditions. But we're trying to grow. And you're trying to take this thing that we're learning from away from us. You've had it for plenty of time. You don't know how long I've had it. Long enough to learn everything you're going to be able to learn. Now, why don't you just turn it over to me? There are going to be plenty of other artifacts. In fact, if you'd like to come by my shop, I'm sure I have something else that could be very beneficial to you. Okay, this sounds like a persuaded NPC, so why don't you roll with heart? Thirteen! Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, and what are, are you doing anything during this? Morris, come on. Job's a job. <laughs> Uh, okay, so after you say you say the thing about there being other items in the shop that might be of interest, and again from from yet a different corner than uh, than you heard before, and the room is echoing kind of, so it's making it a little hard to tell exactly where it's coming from. But he says, he says like, what kind of other items? You have other metalworked items that are enchanted in similarly powerful ways. Oh yeah, I have swords and knives and other weaponry and other enchantment boxes and things that I don't understand that nobody really understands. You just have to come rifle through them. He says, do you have do you have anything that's been animated? Anything uh, anything that necromancers may have worked on? Oh yeah. I have a whole shelf devoted to necromancers. I thought your character was going to say, I have a whole shitload, and I was like, that doesn't seem in character. (laughs) But Um, no, I have a whole library shelf. You can come look through it all and find something that's of equal value to you. So he, from from one of the the corners, he kind of like, uh, he walks into the circle of light and he's still holding the sword and he has the um, the sheath and he has the sword in his right hand and the sheath in his other hand. And he's looking at you uh, suspiciously. Um, he 
is still holding the sword like a weapon, not like, 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 you know, he's not holding it to hand it to you. And he says, how do I know you're not going to kill me as soon as I hand you this sword? Because I'm a professional. (laughs) It would be kind of silly of me to break that trust in a potential ally. So he, uh, yeah, so he, he puts the sword on the ground and nudges it to you and then like, throws the sheath down on the ground next or doesn't throw he he sets both of these down on the ground um and then like backs away um he's trying to stay out of like striking range uh but he does set them on the ground and then backs away and says so when can i come by your shop so i'm gonna go put the sword in the sheath and um you know secure it on my person and i'm gonna hold up a card a business card and i'm gonna drop it on the ground and say just come by anytime this is where I'm located. And he looks at it and he, he picks it up. Does it explode? You have a look on your face like it's going to kill this guy somehow. No. <laughs> so he, he picks up the card and he looks at it and he says, yeah, I think uh, I think there's a, a cave exit somewhere around there. I'll, uh, uh, your hours are on this. And he flips it over. He's seeing if it's what the hours are. He can't really come in during the day because dwarf. Oh, I don't have hours. I'm just usually around there. And he goes, "Okay, I'll uh, I'll come see you, but but I I really hope you have something that's that's just as good. I'm trusting you here. I'm trusting that you have something new for me to learn from. I'm sure we can find something that works out." Split. And he sticks the uh, he sticks the card in his back pocket, and he stands back and like gestures towards the door and says, "Okay, I think you guys can see yourself out, right? Oh, what are you doing during this? Are you observing all of this?" Uh, or do you have any interjections? Okay, cool. So he gestures towards the door and he says, I think you can probably see yourself out. Um, I don't think anyone's going to try and stop you because given the commotion that I heard earlier, I'm assuming everyone who is currently in the building is locked in my lab. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, and he's like, why? Yeah, I'll, I'll see you later. I'll come by to check that stuff out it was a pleasure doing business with you morris if you say so uh so yeah then you guys are free to completely vacate the building and you can still hear angry uh, dwarven hands hitting the the other side of the door in the lab yep i'm gonna get right out of dwarf territory (laughs) if you're lucky you'll get to figure out a new way to breach doors (laughs) so uh so, yeah, so you guys leave, you go back the way you came, um, you get back to the car. What it, it, what do you do when you get back in the car? Do you just get right the hell back to your place? Yeah, I'm just going to drive back to my shop um, and get a hold of the lady who wanted to get this. Yeah. Um, so do you think that she just comes back in the store or do you do a dead drop or something super dramatic? Like, Well, actually, the first thing I'm going to do is pay him the remainder of his fee okay. and drop him off where I found him. So <laughs> you get, what was it? Ten gold? An additional five. Oh, okay, yes. Because so I gave him five. Total. Yeah. Ten, you, yeah, so you get it. No. <laughs> that was the deal. No, it was ten and ten. No, it was five and five. <laughs> Wasn't I distinctly it? remember ten and another ten. Fine, then another ten. 
So he talks his way up to Tim, uh, I guess, and walks back inside the anarchist bar, uh, the anarchist bookstore, and the bookstore, and then the anarchist bar um, with much heavier pockets. Do you just like go sit back down at the table and start regaling any youths that are around? Yes, but I would also like to say that I probably put out some feelers for Felix. Oh yes. Um, you know what? Uh, let's. Uh, let's come back to that. Like, how do you think, so how do you think this woman gets the goods? So I, I assume she left some sort of contact information. Yeah. It would be like a calling card or something. I don't think I'm, I'm assuming at this point, um, well, you know, like this might be to the point where like telephones exist as sort of a novelty and only extremely rich people have them. So I would imagine that maybe you do have a shop telephone, um, that you use for talking to your more, uh, expensive clientele. So you give her a call and, uh, a member of the help picks up and uh, comes um, tells you that she will come by and then you know a couple hours later uh, she shows up at your front door and walks in the store Uh, I'm going to you know good to see you I think I have exactly what you wanted she says oh good can we head to the office to discuss further yes okay so she follows you into the office and says may I see it please before you see it I'm going to need another deposit it was not easy to procure that's not really how deposits work. Um, I'm going to need something that says you're serious about getting it. And she says, yes, I'm serious about getting it. That's just not how deposits work. But, and she pulls out another bag of, of coins and throws it down on the table and says, there's more where that came from. May I please see it? Okay. And maybe drop the attitude. <laughs> It's been a rough evening. Well, I paid you. Um, I feel like you've been paid more than fairly. Uh, do you show it? To her? Do you yeah, show it? To her? I just I take it out and I have it in both of my hands. All right, cool. So she picks it up, um, and it as she picks it up, the blue gems in the hilt glow a little bit. Um, there's like sort of a weird call and response glow from the blue gems in the hilt to her, her like creepy icy blue eyes. And she unsheathes it a little bit and looks at it and then sheathes it again and tucks it inside her coat in a way that, again, with more Tardis magic should not really be physically possible. And she pulls out another huge bag of gold coins and puts it on the desk and says, uh, thank you. Uh, are we, are we good? Well, I am curious what this is all about and what your connection is to it. You can just call it a family heirloom. Hell of a family heirloom. Yeah. I'm not gonna not gonna argue with you there. Um, she looks at she looks at you and she says, "It's just very important to me and my family, and we think it might come in handy again soon." What do you have planned? I mean, specifically. I mean, I'd like to know. I keep my mouth shut, but I like to know what's coming. Isn't there a saying about discretion being the better part of valor? I ignore most sayings. She looks at you and she says, "We just think it would be useful." To have a weapon that can cut through any armor, there are, um, she looks at you again and she says, I'll tell you this since you did such a good job. You might just want to keep an ear to the ground. Um, there's going to be a a lot of fights coming up behind the scenes and, uh, some of them might cause your, uh, different worlds to collide. So just be careful. Um, maybe watch out who you ally yourself with at this point in time. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> Your vague, non-helpful heads up. And she looks at you and she shrugs and she says, 
you're a professional. You understand how naming names works. I do. And then she like takes another, it's not as big as the other bags of gold, but she does take yet another bag of gold that's slightly smaller. And she like tosses it to you in the air as she's walking towards the door. And she says, here, maybe this will help make up for some of the uh, unspecificity. It helps. Do you catch it or do you let it land on your desk? I catch it. Cool. So you catch it in midair. Um, she walks out of the shop uh, at the end of the night. We cut back to the bar that you're in and uh, you're at this speakeasy pub. You're regaling uh, the youths there probably with some nonsense tale about either the time you, you know, that one time you uh, conned a businessman and stole his uh, prize winning machine piece by piece while he was sleeping or that other time when you faced down a horde of dwarves on your own and emerged victorious and uh, somebody walks up to you uh, and sort of nudges you on the shoulder and discreetly says into your ear Felix has some questions about the Fae and he'd like to see you when you get a chance and then we like cut to black and that's the end Wait, do you want to say? Do you do you ha- do you say anything back, or does it just? No, just maybe a creepy grin. But that's about it. Okay, cool. Creepy grin. Cut to black. I don't have anything that dwarf wants, and good luck getting into my shop. Thanks for listening to the Sword of Air one shot. Our players today were Connie and Christopher Meyer. Our audio editor is Brendan Hutchins, and you can find him at podcastadvocate.network. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Tumblr at the links in the description. If you want sneak peeks, behind-the-scenes content, NPCs named after you, or other bonus stuff, make sure to check out the Patreon. The link is in the description and also on our brand new site at serendipitypod.com. There are also public posts with bonus show notes and outtakes from the first campaign up there right now, so you should definitely go check it out if you're interested in that extra material. Many thanks to patrons like Melody Burton for making it possible for me to spend more time on Serendipity City. We play a combination of The Sprawl by Hamish Cameron and Urban Shadows by Andrew Medeiros and Mark Diaz Truman, with a few things added in here and there from Dungeon World by Sage Latora and Adam Coble. All of these are hacks of Apocalypse World. Sound effects and music were a combination of public domain music, Creative Commons licensed sound effects, and Battle Bards, full credits in the episode notes. Our next episode will go up March 13th when you'll get to meet the new players for Fox and Iroh and find out what those characters have been up to in the meantime. If you're enjoying the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or telling a friend about us. That's the only way that we find new listeners. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.